Would you remain standing and say with me the Shema before we hear the scripture passage this morning? Let's say it together. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So we start a new sermon series this morning. We're going through the book of Exodus this summer, which is really exciting to me because I believe the book of Exodus is important in understanding what Jesus was all about. So we're in the first chapter of Exodus this morning, just a few verses. I'm going to start with verse 8. We'll go through verse 11. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase. And in the event of war, they'll join our enemies and fight against us, and they'll escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, pit them, and Ramses for Pharaoh. This is the story of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. This week on Monday, on Memorial Day at our house, uh, Keith got up from the table from lunch, and he was doing some work in the garage at our house, just organizing some fishing equipment and cleaning the vehicles after we'd had a weekend trip to the coast. Um, Claire, our oldest daughter, was sitting at the kitchen table, and while I was sitting there with her, her phone rang. And so she answered the phone, and it was her dad calling from the garage. There's a snake, he said. Bring me a shovel. So as you can imagine, this quickly became the best show in town. We all left the screens that were in front of us. We left the dessert plates that were in front of us to gather in the back hallway of our house, or really, maybe I should say we were huddling. (laughs) We were huddling at a safe distance so that we could watch the attack of the garage snake. Later that night, as I lay in my bed in a dark room, I worried. (laughs) I worried that there were more snakes. (laughs) And that these snakes were all waiting to get inside my house. I worried that Keith left the door to the house open too long and that these snakes were already inside of my house. And I thought, you know, we walk around barefoot way too much in our house. I need a new rule. So I decided in the darkness of my bedroom to initiate a new rule for our house. Everyone must wear shoes all the time. One of my favorite teachers, Trisha Taylor, likes to say, anxiety makes us stupid. Anxiety makes us stupid. And I not only believe that to be true, I know that to be true. (laughs) Because that's what happens to me when I'm fearful and when I'm anxious. It's hard for me to get to my best thinking. Here's what I do. I exaggerate, I blame, I look for a quick fix, I start saying what's best for other people instead of just sticking to what's true for me, and I work hard when I'm fearful. I work really hard. I wear myself out. 
exaggerating, blaming, controlling. These are all signs that the problem is not so much out there needing to be fixed by me, but the problem is inside of me needing to be noticed. Anxiety can and does, in fact, make me stupid. (laughs) When I recognize the signs as a follower of God's ways, I can get a hold of what I've begun to call my monkey mind. (laughs) My monkey mind. I can get a hold of that because a lot of what I call thinking in my monkey mind isn't really thinking at all. It's just reaction. It's simply reaction. It's either how can I fight this or how can I get away from this? Fight or flight. But when I notice it, I have the potential to not just react, but to act to act from a place that rests in God's promise. Exodus. Exodus is a book that reflects God's promise to God's people from the very beginning. The second book of the Bible in Hebrew is named for the first two Hebrew words. It's not called Exodus. That was not its earliest name. Instead, it was referred to by the first two Hebrew words, which are translated into English this way. And these are the names of. That's Exodus 1, 1. And these are the names of. The names that are listed in the opening verses of Exodus are the names of the sons of Israel. Israel, whose name was changed from Jacob to Israel. And it's significant to begin with this list of names of Jacob's sons, and here's why. Hear this familiar, familiar promise spoken to God, spoken by God to Israel in Genesis 35. This is Genesis 35, beginning with verse 9. After Jacob returned from Padam Aram, God appeared to him again and he blessed him. God said to him, Your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name instead will be Israel. And then God said to him this. God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you. And kings will be among your descendants. The land I gave to Abraham and to Isaac I also give to you. And I will give this land to your descendants after you. So in this continuation of God's story that we refer to as Exodus, God's promise begins with a list of names. Those names are Jacob's sons, Israel's sons, and it is a remembering, a remembering of that generation of Jacob's sons and the promise, the promise that God made to the patriarch. Then the text says that generation died. So what Exodus tells us is that several years have passed, but the Israelites were fruitful and they multiplied. That's verse 7 of chapter 1. So this is evidence that the promise was kept. This is, in fact, a numerous people as we start this part of God's story in Exodus. The promise is God gives. God gives land. God gives people, and God gives generously. The promise has increased. The the promise has multiplied. 
But Pharaoh, Pharaoh sees the number of Israelites not as a sign of God's work, of God's presence. Pharaoh instead sees their number as a problem. Pharaoh sees that there are too many Israelites. God's blessing sounds like this throughout Genesis. Be fruitful and increase in number. But Pharaoh says this, and Pharaoh has the first speaking part in Exodus. He's the first character to actually speak. And in verses 9 and 10, he says this, the Israelites are too many. (laughs) The Israelites are too numerous. They are so numerous that in verse 10, he says, you know what? I'm afraid they might leave the country. (laughs) They might leave us. This is funny to me because this really is foreshadowing or it's even prophecy. We could say that Pharaoh's a prophet. He is misreading the promises, but that doesn't mean that the promise isn't there. The promise is evident to us as we hear the story. This very numerous people will one day walk to freedom to their own land because God has promised to give generously to them in descendants and God has promised to give generously to them land. Pharaoh says these Israelites, they're too numerous. They might leave. We must deal shrewdly with them. I must deal shrewdly with them, he says. A rabbinical saying that is sometimes referenced at this point in the Exodus story goes like this. Anyone who declares his own wisdom proves his own foolishness. Anyone who declares his own wisdom proves his own foolishness. Okay, that's trouble for someone like me. <laughs> and, yet, and yet it's a good word of caution. It's a good word of caution for those of us who teach and for those of us who listen to teachers, whose wisdom is being proclaimed, whose wisdom is being taught. This first chapter, uh, this first um, chapter in Exodus where this first character speaks, who is Pharaoh in the journey, is proclaiming, he is proclaiming what he knows and, and included in what he's proclaiming, included in his wisdom It's how he's going to solve the problem. His words are infused not with an assurance of God's promise, but his words instead are filled with anxiety and fear. Pharaoh, in all of his anxiety and all of his fear, he comes up with a quick fix. He comes up with a way to control it. He comes up with a solution. More oppression, he declares. More forced labor, and we're going to build storage cities, is what he says. We do, in fact, live, or I perceive that I live, in a highly anxious time. We, I, I perceive that I'm surrounded by threats. Some of them are real. Some of them are imagined like garage snakes. <laughs> but any time, any time the answer or the wisdom is a quick fix that involves more responsibility, that involves more calculation, that involves more work, or involves more accumulation, I would tell you to proceed with caution. Proceed with caution because what's ahead is just the foolishness of Pharaoh that he declares to be wisdom that is, in fact, folly. Pharaoh sets himself up 
as an alternative to God. And in his anxious way, he hurts everyone who is under the sphere of his influence. In essence, Pharaoh says, my trouble, my trouble is the fault of those Israelites. They're to blame. So I'm going to grab a hold of this situation and I'm going to control it. This opening scene in Exodus, it teaches us, I believe, that there are two different ways to journey through life. One is fueled by anxiety, but the other, the other is fueled by acceptance and trust. It's that acceptance and trust where we know that we are loved and we trust God to keep God's promises to us. So this sounds really easy. It sounds like you can just decide at the head of the trail which path to pick. But I think it's, in fact, pretty darn difficult. I think we have to do it throughout the day. I think we have to do it throughout the week. Often we make this decision, which way am I going to go? The anxious way or the way of acceptance, the way of a beloved child? This um, is a line from a prayer that I kind of held with me pretty tightly this week. It's a prayer that was cited by Phyllis Tickle. Um, Take from me, Lord, those thoughts, those actions, those objects that are hurtful. Take from me those thoughts, actions, and objects that are hurtful. And give to me instead those things that are profitable for me and for those who praise you. So take away those things that I use to control or to hurt myself and other people. And give instead to me those things that accelerate your generosity. Now, I believe that there are two things that we have to remember in order to choose the non-anxious path. This is an action of remembering, and there are two different things to keep in mind, two things to remember. The first thing to remember is to remember to notice what is good around us. Because Exodus is simply a story about God's good provision. We have to notice and remember what is good and the very parts of our world that are good. There is a book that was published in 2013, a book that's called Hard Wiring Happiness. And in that book, um, the author revealed that it's difficult to notice what is good. What he wrote in the book is that fear and negativity and hatred stick to us. Fear and negativity and hatred stick to us like Velcro, while positivity and gratitude and appreciation, those things slide away. They slide off of us uh, like Teflon on our nerves. So he said you have to work against your own physiology, and there's a way to do that. When you come across something that's positive, when you come across an appreciation, when you come across a compliment, you have to remember it for an amount of time. And that amount of time, he said, is 15 seconds. You have to let yourself soak in that positivity for 15 seconds or it slides right off of you. This is why I'm very thankful for Pastor Matt Scott, who's sitting over there in the corner, Uh, this year because he recognized 
that when I related to him a compliment that I'd received over this last year or something positive that I had heard, he would say to me, 15 seconds, Dinah, 15 seconds. Because this has been a year of change. And so in a year of change, there's some anxiety and we got some anxious comments. And of course, those things just jumped onto my Velcro suit. I took those things right along with me down the path. But 15 seconds, 15 seconds of what, of what is good, what is positive. And I would tell you that it's probably an important practice to not just notice the really big things that are good in our life, but also to notice the very small things in our lives and in our world that is good. One of my favorite writers is a woman named Anne Lamont. And Anne Lamont wrote a book about three simple prayers that she titled, Help, Thanks, Wow. And she said that one simple prayer that we need to remember is just this simple prayer of wow. So that we know, when we're noticing what is good in the world, we're saying wow. We're struck with a sense of awesomeness, and we notice it, and we take it in. So she tells this story about mindlessly walking into a 7-Eleven one afternoon, and she's mindlessly walking into a 7-Eleven to buy a really big Hershey's bar, she says, with almonds. Then she's going to shovel that into her mouth in a trance. When she remembers that there is another simple prayer that she can pray, and that simple prayer is help. And so she uses that simple prayer in the 7-Eleven, and out of nowhere, she remembers that's The key, right? Remembering. She remembers. She remembers that as a child, she loved blackberries. And so she does what she says is the wildest, craziest thing that she could do in that moment. What she does in that moment is she changes her mind. She leaves the 7-Eleven and she walks across the street to the health food store where she buys a, a small bin of blackberries. And when she puts one blackberry into her mouth and eats it slowly, she says, wow, wow. This is good. This tastes like summer. I like that story. I like that story because it reminds me that it's not just the really big things that God does in this world and in my life that I need to notice, but it's in the small things as well. And it's in small ways that I can remember what is good. And maybe especially that's the most important that I do that every day. So the one thing that we need to remember as we walk through Exodus is the good ways that God works in our world. The second thing that we are to remember, the second thing that we are to remember is very simple. The second thing that we remember is just the story. It's just God's story for God's people. Our Jewish brothers and sisters remember this Exodus story faithfully. They remember it every year during the Passover. They retell this Exodus story during the Passover to make sure that they are remembering God's promises that God generously gives and God generously grants freedom. God keeps God's promise. And we remember the Passover We actually remember the Passover when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, which is what we are doing this morning. Jesus was celebrating the Passover meal when he gathered his disciples for that last supper. This meal signifies, it signifies a new freedom, a freedom from slavery to sin and death. It's God's good provision. It's offered to every one of us. God keeps God's promise. So we retell these stories, and not only do we retell them, but as followers of Christ, we reenact 
these stories so that we then remember. Would you pray with me? Eternal God, it is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you. You are creator of heaven and earth. In the beginning, your spirit moved over the face of the waters. You formed us in your image, and you breathed into us the breath of life. When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. Your spirit came upon prophets and teachers, anointing them to speak your word. Your spirit blessed your son, Jesus Christ, at his baptism in the Jordan. It descended upon him and declared him your beloved son. With your spirit upon him, he turned away the temptations of sin. Your spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to announce that the time had come when you would save your people. He healed the sick, fed the hungry, ate with sinners. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water and the Spirit. When the Lord Jesus ascended, he promised to be with us always, baptizing us with the Holy Spirit and with fire, as on the day of Pentecost. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, our Lord and Savior took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood. It's a new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, would you send your Holy Spirit upon this bread and this cup? Make them be the body and blood of Christ for us, that we may be the body of Christ redeemed by his blood for the world that surrounds us. By your Spirit, make us one with you, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in his final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Amen.